Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Set inside, Marty Smith, featured speaker from ESPN with David Basil. And it wasn't me. So I'm going to have to talk to David offline about that. Uh, but really appreciate you, brother. Yeah, uh, ne- next year we'll do that. We'll do that for uh... <laughs> you got to earn your stripes before you get the PJ, man. <laughs> Listen, uh, so, you know, I saw Marty. Uh, Matt, go ahead and put you up there. So at Saturday, you were at Texas Live. So I'm going to show you the first picture here. This is me. I'm over there visiting with Amanda Brooks over there, Marty, who is Hello, in charge Amanda of PR. Brooks. So I'm looking, and there's, uh, there's Tim Tebow to the right, Hog fans behind. And I see, uh, I see Marty and McGee there, Ryan and Marty. So go a little bit closer there in the next picture. Uh, and they're wearing, they're wearing cowboy hats. And I just want to know what is in the yellow, the yellow container there. All right. Uh, so there's a little story behind that yellow container. That is a Yeti tumbler cup that is etched or graphic or how, whatever, however you say it with the Marty and McGee logo. And the reason is because I love my coffee. I love my cold beer and I love my coffee. Y'all know about cold beer around here, don't you? So. I, every morning when we're all doing the Marty McGee program, for years I would bring a Starbucks cup just from the Starbucks straight into the studio and drink my coffee during the show. And my bosses are like, dude, they're not sponsors. <laughs> and so we had some cups. Actually, the wonderful folks at Yeti made those for us and shipped them to my house. So that's kind of the story behind that. I promise you, brother, it was coffee. Okay. I, I, I've, seen some, I've seen some of your shows where I don't think that's what it is. No, there's a whole lot of times when it just might be something else. Uh, well, Brown. you know, uh, your man, one of your guys from the Dan Le- uh, Levitard show, I, I love this. Show the next one here, Matt. This is what you were, they were so inspired. Mar- Mar- so you sort of cut off at the top there, but. It's, instead of uh, Garth Brooks, it's Marth Brooks. That would be the uh, Marty we, Brooks there. That look at you. I mean, you, you you wear the cowboy hat well. We did not know. Uh, my friends over here who've now departed said, "Dude, you're wearing Jordans with a cowboy hat and and a suit." I said, first of all, I didn't know we were going to have cowboy hats. And the first cowboy hat that they gave me when we first arrived was a size seven. I got a lot of hair. All right, the size seven made it to about right here. And it was cutting the circulation off to my brain, and I looked exactly like Woody from Toy Story. <laughs> so I asked my wonderful friends to get me a seven and a fourth, and I look a little less like Woody from Toy Story. But still, I know there's a lot of guys in the state of Texas that would whip my <laughs> backside. Now, Marty, like obviously there was a lot on the line this week. Uh, it was all setting up perfectly. The word was at game day. Pretty good chance it was going to Fayetteville. I think there's a uh, very solid chance that was probably going to be the case. Yeah, and so it looked like, a, you know, Arkansas was the better team. They come out dominate the first quarter, 250 total yards to about 50. Uh, and then the, the unexplainable, again, happens in that series where K.J. Jefferson fumbles the ball. Trying to make a play. Trying to make a play. Wasn't the yeah. time to try to make right, that that's play. Right. And that is a phenomenal kid. Yeah, great kid. He is a wonderful person. He does great things for other people. He's a great football player. He's really this season learned how to push the football, which was kind of the next step for him as a player. And he just pressed a little bit right there. And, yes, it was a seismic turn. It was a 14, somebody said yeah. a moment ago. It was a 13-point yeah. shift immediately right there. And it, the, the entire complexion of the game changed. And ultimately, A&M wins the game. Huge win for them. Rough way to lose for you guys. But – 
I just said this outside as well. If I was y'all, I don't. I would be bursting with optimism. The energy here is palpable. Coach Pittman is the perfect guy for this program. You have great play. You don't. You you have some good players, but you have some great players. Drew Sanders is a great football player. Uh, I can tell you, having been in Alabama a lot, I'm at Alabama more than I'm in my own bed. I think. Coach Saban was not thrilled that he lost that young man because of the, that young man's tremendous potential. He's going to be, he is a great player. He's going to be a real great player here. So I would be overwhelmed with optimism, even though I'm sure you're uber disappointed that it didn't go your way Saturday night. Yeah, you still have everything in front of you, obviously a, a tough chore ahead. Very you know, right. one of the things you get to do, you and Ryan get to do uh, every SEC media days when I go is you have your, you know, you got your private room over there and you get all the players and coaches coming by. So over the years, you've had a chance to get to know Brett Bielema, yep. Chad Morris, yep. uh, and this guy, Sam Pittman. And I uh, just wanted to give, uh, give you a chance to tell us what you think about him compared to maybe some of the other coaches we've had. I'll start with the spirit of the person. He's one of those people that you don't even have to know, but if you get the opportunity to engage with him, even for a few moments, you leave better. He has this way of making every single person in the room feel like the most important person in the room, and that's a really rare and special trait. And he's been amazing to me and, and Ryan as well, but he's rooted in this. If you're going to be the head coach at the University of Arkansas, you have to live it, love it, and be rooted within it. And he was even before he came here. Y'all know that. He's been all over the college football landscape. My Lord, I think he's coached at 47 schools. But when he got the opportunity to come here and be the guy, he obviously had learned under some of the greatest, and he brought all of that pedigree of understanding of how to coach young men and do it with his personality, which is a very unique, authentic personality, and it's perfect for this place. I did not look, man. It is extremely difficult to turn a culture at all, and he did. Like you look at Mark Stoops. I love Mark Stoops. Talking about Kentucky, it was funny you said four. Kentucky's undefeated. They're really good, and he's done a great job in Lexington, Kentucky. But it's his tenth year. All right, it's his tenth year there. And he's won 10 games two of the past four. Early on, that was not the narrative. It is hard to turn a culture. And Sam did it in two years. Two years! And I remember asking him, back to what David was saying about having the opportunity to sit with these gentlemen and really dive in, not just to their coaching philosophies and X's and O's and all that stuff that makes our eyes cross sometimes, unless you're the guy that had 16 tackles against Bo Jackson in the what? Liberty Bowl. What? How did Marty know that? Well, uh... So, I love diving into the human element. I want to know who you are. I already know what you are. I want to know who you are. And I asked him, how did you do this, this fast? And he said, I just had, the kids were there. They just had to believe. And they were so beat down emotionally. They were beat down when Chad left here. And he came in and he told them, damn it, you can do this. And we're going to do this. Believe. And all they have done is believe. And what have they done? They have won. And that is a testament to that man. The, uh, yeah, well said. I agree 100%. Yeah, that's worth a round of applause. Yeah, listen. 
There have been some tough Mondays on touchdown clubs in the past few years, Marty, so it's, uh, it's, it's a lot better now. You know, this is a, you know, uh, you guys being in uh, Arlington was your second time uh, with the Razorback game. The first was a couple weeks ago in Fayetteville, and you ran across an old classmate of mine, that guy right there. So I uh, <laughs> want you to give me your thoughts no. on John Daly and hanging out with J.D. I mean, I ain't going to lie, I'm drunk. <laughs> Y'all, we've had some moments on the Marty McGee program, and we say this all the time, uh, specifically about Marty and McGee. Nobody has more fun than we do. Nobody tries to get to the essence of the person the way that we do and keep it really light. And we believe that we can do that because when it's serious, we get it right. And we take that very serious. I mean, we're national reporters in myriad sports. I don't just cover college football. I go straight from college football right into college basketball through the Final Four to the Masters for nine days, then the NFL Draft, then the Kentucky Derby, then the Preakness Stakes, then the PGA Championship. It's on and on and on all year long. So if there's a humongous story going on in sports, one of us two knuckleheads is probably involved in it in some way. But then John Daly comes on our program and whom I just adore him. Back to authenticity, I care so much about who. And man, that guy's one of one. And we hand him this hillbilly headline. Any of y'all watch our program? If you don't, I, I ain't proud. If you do, you know what hillbilly headlines is. We have this stupid segment that we do where we find Florida man. I mean, the whole thing's based on Florida man. All we gotta do is just pick up a newspaper somewhere in Florida and we're gonna find one. Anyway, we hand Daly this hillbilly headline to read, and Daly sits down on the set, for those of you guys who didn't see it, and we're like, all right, John, how about you lead us off? And he goes, boys, I ain't going to lie, I'm drunk. <laughs> I mean, it went crazy. We got on an airplane, y'all. We left, we left the University, University of Arkansas and hauled freight to XNA, which any of y'all who've flown out of XNA know you got to take a dirt road to get to an airport. That's sort of weird. I mean, it was kind of wild. You do, right? You got to go on down a dirt road by some guy's cattle farm to get to the airport. And so we get into the airport, and we're drinking a beer right before our uh, flight takes off. I sit down on the airplane. The show hadn't been over for an hour, and it was like, a million three views on John Daly going, boys, I ain't going to lie, I'm drunk. <laughs> Here we are reporting on the Masters, reporting on college game day, all this stuff that's super serious, tearjerker stories. Some people like it. I jump in a duck pond, people go crazy. John Daly tells us he's wasted. Boom. <laughs> I mean, what a... God bless America. Yeah, he's... Uh... Great guy, JD hadn't changed a bit since he was uh, he was in school, and uh, uh, you know, I also reading your book, Eric Church uh, wrote the, uh, the Ford. Yeah, yeah he's Ford. one of my best friends. He's a great man. So uh, country music, I, I think all music, but especially country music, is very important to you. You yes. write about that in your book, and I, I know there's one guy who actually does a radio show with me, Roger and RJ. That guy right it's there, a great man, right there. Yeah, I think he's uh, woo pig as it gets now. <laughs> yeah, listen, he doesn't. I mean, when we talk about other schools, there's. He hates everybody. He yeah. hates LSU. Like, I, I always find it interesting talking to Justin about anything Arkansas. And his wife is a tiger, as you well know. And he is like, man, I hate LSU. He just can't stand them. I'm like, what did they do to you? I could see if you hated another, but I guess it's a state line thing. I don't know what y'all got going on there. But he is an extremely talented person. And he is a great person and a great friend. And obviously, uh, just he's number one yeah, again. Yeah, 11th number one. Number yeah. one again, and I'm thrilled for him and all his success. Somebody, I met Justin 
early, early, early in his career. And I was really taken because there weren't a whole lot of people, you know, singing songs saying, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I might pay attention to this dude. <laughs> then I met him, and I was like, man, you ain't, you, who's, who, whose ass you going to kick? <laughs> I love him to death. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. You actually wrote your book in in a music theme, and so I you know, I yeah. I mean, that, not everybody. And matter of fact, I think your podcast logo is a guitar pick with with looks like lines through. Of, I happen to notice that. I took a really, I think, unique sort of approach to writing my book, and I maintain that Matthew McConaughey ripped off my plan. His book, Green Lights. If you guys have not read Matthew's book called Green Lights, go get it. It's tremendous but i just decided that in today's world where there's so much distraction where all of us are tethered to those god-awful cell phones all the time i i wanted to write a record album when i wrote the book that that is called never settle i wrote it a couple years ago it did very well new york times bestseller i'm humbled beyond words that it's done as well as it has and i want to say this quickly about that book too it has been a movement it is not a moment, it is a movement, and here's why. We have done speeches all over the Southeastern Conference footprint, business schools, fraternities, sororities, whatnot. And every single time that I do those speeches, we ask for the assemblage to buy books to give out to the assemblage, right? And as a result of all of those speeches, we've given away multiple college, full college scholarships based off of that revenue. And so it's been an amazing movement. Every single young person we've impacted, it's their first generation college students. And so it's super cool what it's done. Anyway, I did not write a traditional type of book that builds chapter upon chapter towards some sort of climax like books have for generations and centuries. I wrote a record album that was a series of individual tracks then when put together in its entirety takes you on somewhat of a thematical journey. And it seems to have worked because the feedback I've gotten from that script is not, oh, that's cool, you met Nick Saban or Tim Tebow or Cristiano Ronaldo or Tiger Woods or whomever. It is, you saved my life. I had to have hope. I was listless, I was hopeless, and that thing was this vehicle to help me. And gracious sakes, it's humbling. So thank you for yeah. reading it. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, that's, it's a great book. Y'all need to get it. It's very enjoyable. Great stories. And there's a couple of things I'm going to get to here in a second, too, about the book. Uh, Matt, uh, pop up uh, photo number seven. Uh, obviously, we talk about this show that, that so you and Step Brothers photograph that you and uh, Ron have. It is uh, so. So I've been doing radio for about 20 years altogether here in Little Rock. And I think Roger and RJ and, and Tommy and all of us, you know, have done that show. Uh, I think it's similar to what you guys do every Saturday. It's it's uh, barbershop talk. I mean, one day you could be talking about you when you were youth and doing gospel. I mean, uh, Christian rock bands, hair bands, and uh, Tara, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, all the things, all the areas you go, and um, I just think it's for those who don't know about that show. What is it? What, what's that's what it describes? It really is that it's. Um it's two buddies that have known each other for 25 years now. So the way he and I met, uh, McGee was actually an executive producer before he made his way onto camera. He was the executive producer of Fox Network's daily NASCAR show many moons ago. And at the time, I was a writer covering NASCAR for Turner Sports and NASCAR's website called NASCAR.com. 
And I got this random cold call one day in 2005, I think, or six, one of the years, from, from an 860 number, and I'm super-duper shady. I screen every call. If I don't have your number, I'm probably not answering it. But I was led to answer this one, so I pick it up. I'll never forget it. I was coming home from Costco. My little boy, he's not little anymore, he'll be 17 next month, Cameron, was in the back seat. He was an infant. And I was coming home on I-77 with this sheet cake in the back and my son wailing and my phone rings and I pick it up. It's this guy named Jack Obringer. He says, hi, Marty, my name's Jack Obringer. And I said, mm-hmm, how can I help you, brother? He goes, I work for ESPN. And I went, oh, awesome, what's up? He goes, I need you to keep this under your hat. But in 2007, we're going to re-enter the broadcast landscape for NASCAR racing. We're going to sign a rights deal to cover NASCAR for the next eight years. And I am charged with putting together our, they call us talent on air. That's a ridiculous <laughs> moniker, but that's what they call us. I'm in charge of putting together the talent base for our ancillary programming, Sports Center. There was a show called NASCAR Now, Daily NASCAR Show, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody that I talked to says, I got to call you. And I was like, oh, I think you have the wrong Marty. There's a guy named Marty Snyder who actually does. I've never done TV before. You got the wrong dude. And he goes, I know who Marty Snyder is. I need you to think about it. I'm like, is this a job offer, man? He was like, not yet. Just think about it. Well, I went home and told Lainey, my wife. I said, hey, I think ESPN just hired me a job. What do you think? She was like, for what? I said, like, to put me on TV. Like, to talk for a living. She was like, I don't know about this, man. But... I would rather crash and burn and fail knowing I can't than wonder 20 years from now if I could have. And so when they did ultimately offer me the job, I did it. And throughout the time of working through deciding whether I should do it, I went and visited McGee. And I sat down, shut his office door, went and sat him down. I'm like, hey, man, these people want to put me on TV. Like, what do you think about this? He goes, hey, well, you got to do it. He said, you got to do it. Well, fast forward about 10 years. He goes, dude, I think ESPN wants to put me on TV. I'm like, you got to do it. And now... Because of the belief of people that work at SEC Network, they just saw something in our relationship, this chemistry. Because we here's the big secret about Marty and McGee. We ain't trying. <laughs> we don't spend all this exhaustive time with a legal pad with Arkansas Pine Bluffs rushing stats on it. We don't. We just sit there together. How about I pulled out Arkansas Pine Bluff? What are they? Golden Lions. Golden Lions. <laughs> so, yeah, they're golden. That's right. And so that the great secret of the show is, is that the, it's, the entire show is our chemistry. And so somebody saw something in that. Then they give us this random platform. Hey, we want you guys to interview the head coaches at SEC Media Days. Oh, that'd be cool. Well, then all of a sudden they're like, we want to give you guys a show on Wednesday night. Then they're like, last year, hey, we want you guys to go on campus on Saturday mornings. And we can't believe we're just waiting on them to figure out that we're fraud redneck kids and fire us. And there are envelopes, y'all, and there are borders on those envelopes. And I have pushed that thing. I can't believe that I have not gone through the envelope yet. I have said things on that television program I cannot even believe. I've gone home. My lady's like, son, you are getting close, buddy. We're just waiting on them to fire us one day. Well, you know, uh, Matt, show the picture. I, show, I, cut, I cropped it the first time, but I'm going to show you it one more time. There, there is Ryan in the background. You that's, sort of uh, see, that's McGee yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, there's, uh, that's what he does. And um, We always say I'm the sixth Backstreet Boy, and he is the guy that comes to your door to sell you Funkin' Wagnalls Encyclopedia. <laughs> 
And the great thing. Are y'all old enough to remember Funk and Wagons? <laughs> they had like the gold emblazoned uh, uh, borders on the pages. Man, yes. you could, my mom won those at Food Line one time when I was like nine years old. I thought we'd done hit the lottery. Now, the, um, now the, the thing about it is that uh, you two together, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, to me what's unique is that you both wrote. You wrote for Roanoke, Lynchburg. Yep. I mean, you were a writer. Yeah, before. we were newspaper writers. Yeah, so I think there's tremendous value and credibility when you before you do TV is it when you're a writer. I mean, I think that's a, a huge credibility. Well, I think if you. you just look at ESPN, right, I mean, Adrian Wojnarowski breaks every NBA story, newspaper guy. Adam Schefter breaks every NFL story. Newspaper guy. That's right. A lot of us kind of took that path to them believing enough in us to give us. Like, I'll never forget that call with Jack. I, when I said to him, I don't know television, he said, it doesn't matter. I'll teach you television. I need who, who and what you know in that NASCAR garage. And I had, the first time I was ever on TV, y'all was on Sports Center, And I was holding the microphone. <laughs> scared to death. But they did. And they have given me opportunity along the way. I mean, when they dropped me in college football, you want to hear a funny story? This story will take just a minute, but y'all, it's a pretty funny story. So, last race of the 2014 NASCAR season was in Miami, Florida, okay? I had been gone for 20 weeks straight. My wife was a single mother. We had eight, five, and two at home. God bless the moms, by the way, because, like, my wife allowed me to chase a dream even when it was hard on her. And I'm so full of gratitude for her, her spirit and her, her, she has the best direction and the best compass about what's right and how to manage things. And I get home from that last race. She was cooked. She had tears in her eyes. Martin, I got to have you home. There's one person who called me. My parents are deceased. Lainey calls me Martin. That's it. So I get home. She's really distraught about it. And I'm like, don't worry. I had made the decision at that time to kind of bet on myself. NASCAR, uh, ESPN was losing the NASCAR rights. They were going to NBC Network. And so rather than go to Fox or NBC or maybe take another opportunity in the NASCAR world, I decided to stay at ESPN and just see what happened. Chainsaw races in Idaho, cornhole tournament down here in Rock Hill, I don't care. I'll cover anything. But that deal wasn't supposed to start till January 1 of 15. So I had this six-week period where I was just going to be home. I get home. We put our older two in the car. She takes them to school. I sit down on my couch. My little two-year-old daughter, Vivian, she's now 10, was playing in the floor. And I take that. You know when you come home from a big business trip or finish a big project, you have that, like, cleansing breath? Take a sip of my coffee. Open up my cell phone. There is an email there at the top of the email from a guy named Lee Fitting. Lee Fitting runs all of football at ESPN now, Monday Night Football, all the college stuff. At the time, he was the executive producer of College Game Day. And his email said, Marty, Lee Fitting, executive producer of College Game Day. I love your passion. It belongs in college football. Start studying. I'm going to embed you with one of the four teams that qualify for the inaugural college football playoff. This thing may as well have been written in Sanskrit. I could not believe what I was reading. Like, this has to be a prank. That was ESPN's biggest initiative at the time, and I had never covered college football before. So I called Lainey. She disputes this part of the story, but I'm telling you, she answered, where are they sending you? I said, I need, when you get home, I just need to talk through this with you. So I explained to her what it is. My wife at the time was not the hugest like college football person. So she's like, I don't care what, I don't care what they're sending you to do. I need you home. So I said to her, look, I knew that that email was a treasure map. I knew that if I 
followed its direction and I was willing to dig deep enough within myself, we would find riches beyond our wildest dreams. And I ain't talking about money. I'm talking about life experience. And that has ultimately been exactly what happened. So, I take the gig. ESPN drops me in Columbus, Ohio like an alien from Mars. I sound like this. I cover NASCAR racing and they send me to Ohio State. Well, all y'all who are hardcore, hardcore college football people may remember, they won the national championship that year with a third-string quarterback named Cardell Jones. They had pros everywhere. That entire roster was full of pros. Well, day three, I'm in Columbus. Day three, the sports information guy comes over. He said, hey, you should probably meet Urban. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd like to meet Urban. That's cool. I like our Urban Meyer, man. That's cool. So I go into Urban's office, and he's got his yellow legal pad with Austin Pease or whoever. Let's go pee on his. So... You know, he's like looking at these papers. And I, like, Jerry Emig was the gentleman's name. He's like, uh, Urban, this is Marty. He's going to be here from ESPN. Urban sticks his hand out. Says, hey, just don't get in my way. I'm like, oh, hell, I won't get in your way, man. I'll be right over by that stained glass window. But I said, hey, could you just look at me a second? If there's anything you want the world to know about your program, I'll be right over there. And I will disseminate the information exactly the way you tell it to me. And he goes, okay. Well, again, I'm with them for the next seven weeks as they upset Alabama in the Sugar Bowl and then they beat the brakes off of Oregon in the national championship. Here's where the story gets good. Fast forward a year. Alabama-Clemson won out in uh, the first national championship. They played against each other out in the big toaster out in Phoenix, Arizona. We had, we being college game day, ESPN had three coaches as guest analysts that week. We had Hugh Freeze, who was at Ole Miss at the time. Of course, he's at Liberty now. We had Brian Kelly, who was at Notre Dame. Of course, he's at LSU now with his family. <laughs> and we had Urban Meyer, who was still at Ohio State at the time. So, if you guys could see our workroom at the National Championship, it's like, kind of like stepping on an anthill. And all them ants go flying around everywhere because we're all going to this live shot, that show, this radio, that show. We're all running around all over the place. And so I come in from a live shot. I get grabbed around the shoulders. I look up. It's Urban. He goes, I need to talk to you. I was like, all right. He goes, I can see you're thrashing. When you're done, I'll be sitting right over there. And I'm like, no, 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 man. I got time. He goes, when you're done. I said, okay, cool, coach. So I get done. It's like 10 minutes to kick off. And y'all, I walk around this couch, okay? He's sitting there on, on, on the edge of this couch. I walk around this couch, and I got on a knee like I was in the huddle. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, hey, coach, what's up? He goes, remember when we met? I said, yes, sir. I remember when we met very well. You gave me time, attention, detail, information I hadn't earned and didn't deserve. And I'm forever grateful. He goes, I'm talking here. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, can I tell you what I was thinking when you walked into my office? I said, yes, sir. He goes, Florida State gets Tom Rinaldi. <laughs> Alabama gets Kaylee Hartung. Oregon gets Samantha Ponder. And they send us this redneck from NASCAR? <laughs> that is what they think of us? Well, I didn't know whether to laugh, cry, tuck my tail and run. And he hits me on the chest. He goes, I want you to know this. He said, it took me three days. I said, three days for what? He goes, three days to know that you were the perfect guy for that team that year. And I said, well, may I ask how? He said, because of the way my players responded to you, you cared about them. 
And we were an underdog. Nobody believed that we even belonged in that playoff. And nobody believed you belonged in that playoff either. Okay, coach, thanks. (laughs) Uh, Listen, that's a remarkable story. Uh, you know, speaking of, you know, obviously you, you know everything about football. I, we've got, to, if you haven't seen this, one of my favorite clips of you and uh, uh, Ryan McGee. It was, this was a Razorback, it was to promote football, I think two, three years ago. Uh, and Matt, just jack up the sound and make sure we can hear. It's really, it's really quick. Oh, Lord. Big say Razorbacks! Woo. God, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you guys the backstory on that. This is hilarious. So it is hot up here. So, uh, as as stated a few moments ago, Justin Moore is a great friend of mine. We're like brothers, and so I didn't know. Neither McGee and I, full disclosure, had no damn idea how to do the Whoopi Suey chant. No clue. And so I'm like, who can we call? I'm like, I know who we can call. So I call up JM. And he answers the phone. He's like, hey, buddy. I said, you know you got a thick southern accent when I make fun of you. I'm like, hey, buddy. I said, hey, bro, I got a question, man. I need you to walk me through how to do the woo pig suey thing. And he was like, all right, cool. He's like, man, hey, let's just, hold on. Let me, let, let me call you back. Let me call you back. Let me call back. So I'm like, I don't know what that was about. He, like, McGee's like, did you get it? I'm like, no, I don't, still don't know. He said he's got to call me back. Like 15 minutes later, JM calls me back, and he's like, sorry about that, man. He goes, I was in the bracelet line at Disney World. Ella done lost her bracelet, and I had to get a new one. And they called my name right when you called me. So then Justin proceeds to spend the next 15 minutes teaching us how to do the Razorback deal. That's, that's our tutor right there. Love that, love that. That's his handiwork. How y'all think we did? <laughs> Very good. Uh, in the in the book, you talk about your uh, the experience of uh, being with your dad, going to see hockey games. Obviously, there's a book, Never Settle. And um, I thought it was great. I guess two, three years ago, you did a you want to do a letter to college football. We've got that. And I want you to listen to it. It's about a minute and 30 seconds long. But it was there. The back, background was there at Virginia Tech in the stadium there. Just listen to what Marty had to say about what college football means. I, I bring it to television the way I do. And in thinking about it, the only way I can truly articulate it was to write it. So I wrote a letter. I want to read it to you. Dear College Football, you offer a unique brand of kinship, fellowship, found nowhere else, and I mean nowhere. Your traditions on these crisp fall Saturdays unify us, even in moments of division. We are foes between your lines, but oddly your lines tend to erase those drawn between us and around us in our daily lives, and you create lasting memories. For me in recent years, those memories live in little towns all across this nation with huge identities, identities built upon your foundation. Places named Tuscaloosa and Baton Rouge, Columbus and Clemson. But the sweetest of those memories for me live right here in this little town, Blacksburg, Virginia. And in fact, in those very seats up here to my right. Those are the seats peering down from the ridge, down upon my childhood dreams. Those are the seats I shared with my daddy, felt his callous hand upon my knee, saw him smile. I felt important to him here, had his attention, felt his love and hope he felt mine. Around here people know this, but when my daddy died 10 years ago, I lost a little piece of myself. And the only place I can find it is right here in Lane Stadium. So tonight, as that pregame clock eases towards the five minute mark, 
and Johnny Cash introduces Inner Sandman, and 66,000 people start jumping like wild people, and the electricity in the air here reaches a fever pitch, I will smile. And I'll probably weep a little bit, too. A lot of you can relate. You've told me so in those little towns all over this nation, because for a lot of you, just like for me, fall Saturdays are so much more than just game day. Thank you, college football. Yeah, how about that? Good stuff.